Let's welcome Pastor Rick as he comes to bring the word tonight. Well, thank you, Pastor. It's good to be here tonight, isn't it? Good to hear his word. And tonight we're going to take a look at the triumphant entry of Jesus going into Jerusalem. And before we get to that entry, I want to give a little bit of background of uh, what was going on before that, okay? And we're going to start back in, uh, in John in the 11th chapter where it said Jesus just got word that his good friend Lazarus was sick, was real sick. And, uh, and they asked that he would come as soon as possible. Well, it took the Lord a time to get there. And when he finally got there, Mary seen him coming, and she ran out and said, Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And I know that caught Jesus kind of probably by a little bit, um, if you're like me, you know, and your good friend passes away, it hurts when somebody says something like that. And Jesus said, well, let's go to the tomb. So Mary took him over to the tomb where he was laid. And it says when Jesus got there and he looked at it, it said Jesus cried. It was his friend. It was a close friend. And Jesus cried. Compassion. It hurts sometimes when, when something like that happens. But Jesus said something. He said, roll the stone away. And Martha, another sister, said, but Lord, it's been four days. We can't roll the stone away. It's, it's going to be bad. It's going to smell. And Jesus said, please, roll the stone away. And as they rolled the stone away, he looked around, and there was a big crowd there. there they were there um, helping uh, the sisters mourn their brother, but there was others there because they knew Jesus was there. And it says that Jesus prayed saying, Father, thank you for hearing my prayer. He already knew what was going to happen, but I think he said that so the others around him knew that he was talking to the Lord, that he was talking to God. So as they rolled the stone away, Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Come on out, Lazarus. And I, couldn't you almost hear the people saying, you know, kind of maybe laughing and thinking, what is he trying to do? What is he doing? But Lazarus started walking out. And when he came out, he was still wrapped in the burial clothes. And the Lord said, take the burial clothes off of him and set him free. And it says, because of that, many of the people, because of that healing, because of that raising Lazarus from the dead, it says many of the people believed in Jesus and followed him. But then it says that some others went over to the chief priest and the Pharisees and told them what they seen, what happened. And the Pharisees and, and the chief priest said, boy, you know, if we let this go on, if we let this guy keep doing this, pretty soon everyone is going to believe in him. And if that happens, the Romans will take our temple, the Romans will take our country, and we won't have anything. So they plotted, starting that day, they plotted to kill Jesus. So that just gives you a little bit of background, what's go what was going on, what was happening. And then when, in, in June, and John, the 12th chapter, Jesus and his disciples were going to Jerusalem for the Passover. 
But on the way, they stopped. It's in, in verse 1, it says, uh, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany. And that's where Lazarus and his sisters lived. And they gave a dinner in honor of Jesus. And many people were there because they heard Jesus was coming. And just think for a minute with me, if you were in that group, if you were in, in, in that multitude that was there. And here you've seen Jesus and you've seen Lazarus together. You knew that he died. You knew that he died. You've seen it. And now you see him sitting down table together, eating together. What, what, what a story. What, what feeling would you have? But it says right after dinner, Mary took some expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped it with her hair. She wiped his feet with her hair. And one of the disciples, Judas, uh, kind of put her down, kind of wanted to correct her. Why are we wasting perfume, that very expensive perfume? We could have sold it, and we could have helped the poor. And, you know, and Jesus said, hey, leave her alone. Leave her alone. It was intended, that perfume was intended for my burial. You will always have the poor. Just what Jesus said. You will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And, you know, all the disciples were there, and they heard this, but they didn't understand. Later on they did, but they didn't understand what he was saying. And it says the crowds grew larger and larger. And many of them, many more, started following Jesus started following Jesus. Why? Because again, they could see Lazarus. He was living. And they knew that Jesus raised him from the dead. And it says the chief priest plotted just not to kill Jesus, but to kill them both. To kill them both. To get them out of the way. So that gives you an idea of what was going on at that time. And then in Luke we're changing here and going to Luke 19, 30 to 42. Jesus sent a couple of his disciples into town, and he said, I want you to go in, and I want you to find a coat. And when you find this coat, it will be one that nobody has ever been on before. Nobody's ever rode on him before. And untie that coat and bring it to me. And if anybody asks what you're doing, tell them you're bringing it to the Lord. So they did that. And as they, they were untying the coat, the owner said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they said, my Lord needs it. And they brought the coat to Jesus. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that coat, he, he was fulfilling a prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9, Zechariah 9 9, a prophecy that their king would come riding in on a donkey. And indeed, Jesus was their king. He was their Messiah. He was their deliverer. And he would eventually deliver their nation. But that was not his primary mission at that time. The problem was they didn't recognize their real problem. The real problem was not bondage to Rome, but it was bondage to sin. In fact, it was sin and rebellion and disobedience that got them in the trouble they were already in, captivity under Rome. They got them there in the first place. 
It says, now the multitude were rejoicing and shouting. The multitude was rejoicing and shouting and praising God for all the mighty works that they had seen. That's Luke 9, 37 and 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you, can you imagine that? Again, kind of put yourself in that crowd. You've seen, you've seen the miracles. You've seen, uh, you've heard the preaching. You've heard what he's had to say. And here comes Jesus. And you know the prophecy. Most of these, they knew what was, what was going on. They knew that, you know, their king was supposed to be coming in riding on a colt. And they were so excited. They were so excited that they, they, it says that they took their garments off and threw them on the ground and palm branches on the road ahead of him. It was a tr traditional respect and honor that res was reserved for a, uh, a conquering king coming home to sit on his throne. So they were honoring Jesus as he was coming in because they expected him to be sitting on the throne. But the Pharisees were sitting off to the side, and they kind of took offense to that. And they said, Jesus, stop them from doing that. But you know what? He didn't. He didn't stop that. He didn't object to their praise because what they were saying was true. But he made a, a very interesting statement right here. He said, if they stop, even nature itself, even nature itself would proclaim who I am. That's in verse 40. Isn't that something? He said, if the people stop, even nature himself, I want you to get a hold of that. Even nature himself would proclaim who I am. But as Jesus drew, near, drew close to the city, he was overcome with compassion. He was overcome because he knew that this city, these people, had missed the real truth. He had been preaching for the last three years, and they had missed it. He was, covering, he was coming to deliver them from their sins, from Satan's kingdom, not the Roman kingdom. And he knew that because of the rejection of his purpose, he knew that their future and the future of this beloved city was in trouble. He knew, he knew that, it, that, that the scripture says it will be stomped, it will be destroyed. And he knew that within weeks, that within weeks, when he didn't do exactly what they expected him to do, that the praising multitude would turn away and reject him altogether. Sad, but he knew what was coming. He knew what was coming. Let's take a look at the praising multitude for a minute. Notice that there was a multitude of people that went before him and a multitude that came after him. And they were shouting their praises about their king. It said, even the children joined in in the temple. And many of them had seen the miracles. Many of them, probably a lot of them, had been healed. And they were there, and they, they were just rejoicing in what Jesus was doing. They were rejoicing. And now they were ready to put their king on the throne. They had high expectations what, what he was going to do next. They wanted him to deliver them from the Roman 
captivity. But in the three years that Jesus preached, never once did he say that he was going to free them from the Roman captivity. He spoke in spiritual terms, and they thought in physical terms. And when it became obvious that he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do, to conquer Rome, as they expected him to do, when that became obvious, they turned from him and they joined with those that was calling for him to be crucified. You know, as I thought about that, how fast, how fast everything changed because Jesus wasn't going to do what they thought he needed to do. And you know, and I wonder how many people today in the multitude how many of us are like those people in Jerusalem? We can rejoice and we can praise God when Jesus is doing everything that we want him to do. But you know, when our prayers aren't being answered, when our expectations aren't being met, does our praise stop? Do we kind of just kind of sit back and maybe even some stop following him? People haven't changed, have they, over the years? They haven't changed. We're still the same. You know, and right now, in our nation, things are growing dark. We see things happening fast, all over, just not here, but all over. And, you know, we know, we know that Jesus is coming again. And we're looking for Jesus and expecting him to return quickly, at least I am, to return. To return quickly and hopefully take us out of this mess. But what happens? What happens if he tarries? What happens if he don't come right away the way we expect him to? We know from prophecy that time is short and we're expecting Jesus to return and be our conquering king. But what happens if he tarries and he waits a little while? Will we still follow him? Will we still praise him and proclaim that he's our king? The multitude expected Jesus to deliver their nation from their physical enemy. And it was prophesied that he would. And he will do that in the future. It's coming. His second coming. He will deliver them physically from their enemy. And he will sit up as king in Jerusalem. It's prophesied. For us, let me assure you that he will come again for us. It's prophesied. But perhaps it may not be when we're expecting it. It may not be when we're expecting it. But the good news is, is he is coming back. He is coming back. Today, I don't know. Next week, could be. A year down the road, it could be. But Jesus will come again as prophesied. Just as he will come again for his nation, he will come again for us. And today, and today, he wants to set up his kingdom in our hearts if we let him. He wants to reign as king in our hearts there. 
And all we have to do is ask him. All we have to do is ask him, and he's willing to do it. Jesus is coming again. As conquering king, all we have to do is ask him to come in in our hearts and conquer and conquer and live there as king. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this evening. God, for what the scripture says that you will do. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, that we can look back at the word and see, dear Heavenly Father, how you have, t have, you have taken step by step that you have defeated the enemy. And Lord, that you want to set up in each and every one of our lives as king, as king. Lord, we ask tonight that that would be so. We ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rick. I'm so glad you shared that word tonight <clears throat> on the when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Tonight, I want to pray with you as we go, and I just want to bless you. You know, Pastor Rick made a number of very powerful statements there, not only that Christ is coming again, but you can be saved. He made a statement there this evening about what Christ had accomplished for us at Calvary and what that meant. And so I just want to give the Lord thanks and pray with you now before we go tonight and pray for your friends that you've been inviting. Let's pray over them and let's ask God to touch their hearts because if we ask him, even right now at 651 on this Wednesday night, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be able to begin to touch your friends' hearts and draw them to you. So would you agree with me in prayer? Jesus, I thank you that, Lord, you conquered sin through your death at the cross, that what was meant for us because of our sin, you took it all upon yourself. And when you came into Jerusalem, Lord, the hardness of the hearts of the people missed it because, as Pastor Rick brought out tonight, Lord, we were looking for a political kingdom. We were looking for a political savior we were looking for government to give us the answers that only God can give us. And Jesus, the answer has always been and always will be you. And I thank you that you canceled the record of sin against us. And I thank you that by your blood, you have washed away our sins and trespasses. And now a new life has begun. And we pray for our friends tonight. Call your friends' names out that are on your impact list. Maybe their name is Tom or Mike or Tony or Sheila. Maybe their name is Mary. Maybe tonight it's a friend called Craig. Call their names out to the Lord as I pray for them. Father, in the name of Jesus, on this Wednesday evening just before the 7 o'clock hour, we ask you to touch our friends that we've been praying for and that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes to their need for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you will convict them of their sins so that they will understand why the gospel is good news. For if we don't understand that Christ died for sinners, and I am the chief of those sinners, Lord, they will never appreciate the good news of the gospel. 
And so I ask you now, in Christ's name, would you draw them to yourself, and may we see them Good Friday, Saturday for the extravaganza, and worshiping with us Sunday, and may they cross the line, commit their hearts and lives to you, and join with all true believers, Lord, who say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Please don't forget to give tonight. You can text 77977 or give online at woodland.church just by clicking the word give. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for this message tonight. As always, you stir my heart. I appreciate you. God bless you. Good night.